Today on Lockdown Sox, we are recapping the Hall of Fame ballot results. We will update you on the latest news from the MLB lockout negotiations. And you get to meet a potential future superstar in Chicago. You are Locked On White Sox, your daily Chicago White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Sox. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. Thank you for making Locked On White Sox your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. We're free and available on all platforms like Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Sox. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. On today's show, we will be talking about the BBWAA Hall of Fame ballot results for the class of 2022. We have one Hall of Famer to tell you about, and we'll update you on the White Sox players that were on the ballot. Then we have an update from the MLB PA and the MLB owners meeting. They met again. This is two times in the same week. This is huge. And then finally, we will introduce you to the White Sox newest Cuban superstar. Very exciting show, huh? You can call into the show at 312-566-8727, or you can write in at LockdownSox at gmail.com. All right, the results for the class of 2022, the BBWAA Hall of Fame ballot results have been announced, and there is one, count it, one Hall of Famer, David Ortiz, Big Poppy of the Minnesota Twins and Boston Red Sox is now a Hall of Famer. He received 307 votes, which was 77.9% of the votes he could have received. And that was on his first year on the ballot. David Ortiz is the 58th player to be elected into the Hall of Fame on their first year of eligibility. Recent players who have been voted in on their first year of eligibility, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Roy Holiday, Chipper Jones, everyone's favorite Jim Tomey, Pudge Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, don't worry, I'm just doing the ones from 2010, Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and Frank Thomas. And the more I hear that list of names, Martinez, Thomas, Glavin, Smoltz, you heard it, Maddox, I don't think David Ortiz belongs in that list. I didn't think Derek Jeter really belonged on that list, but he had more of a case than Big Poppy. It's very stunning that not only did David Ortiz get voted in on his first year of eligibility because he has connections to the steroid era. He was reportedly named by the New York Times for testing positive in a 2003 anonymous drug test. The thing that I find funny, Sammy Sosa, who's on his 10th year of eligibility, who only received 73 votes, which was about 18 percent of the votes, was also named in that 2003 anonymous drug test. And that's the only other report that he's been named on in his entire career. Yet Sammy, no, 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 Sammy, Sammy is now off the ballot entirely. David Ortiz, Hall of Famer. I mean, it just doesn't add up to me. I don't get it. Is it just because David Ortiz was nice to the media? Is it just because David Ortiz has had a nice post-playing career? Is it just because of David Ortiz's postseason playing career? I mean, I know a list of players who hit 600 career home runs in their career, and I know David Ortiz isn't on that list. Sammy Sosa's on that list. I just don't get it. I mean, go look at Edgar Martinez, a better DH, a player with 68.4 war in his career over 18 seasons when Big Poppy only put together 55.3 war over 20 years. 
I know people are mad over the Bonds and Clemens things. Bonds and Clemens are not Hall of Famers. They reached 66% of the vote and 65% of the vote, respectively. Bonds with 66, Clemens with 65. But this is the biggest atrocity to me, is the fact that David Ortiz got in in his first year as a DH, as a true DH, and it took Edgar 10 years. And I know the pool has changed a little bit, the voting pool. I know it's gotten a little bit younger, a little more smarter, but... I mean, Edgar was just a better player than David Ortiz. And it just seems that because Ortiz is so likable and Edgar was so quiet, that's why Big Poppy gets in first. Whatever. He's a great character. Congratulations to him. But if you're really going to be upset with the BBWAA over Bonds, Clemens, it's kind of a waste of breath because they just weren't going to be elected in anyways. But Ortiz, first ballot, just seems ridiculous to me. And before we get into AJ Perzinski and Mark Burley, all their results, I do just want to bring this up from Jeff Passan, who said this in an article about Barry Bonds belonging in the Hall of Fame. He said, the simple truth is that Barry Bonds is the story of the steroid era. He is a player whose physical gifts knew no limits and whose desires for something beyond greatness took him to a place he never needed to go. His greed mirrored the league's the ceaseless pursuit of bigger, better, more. This is the history that demands to be told, and there is no better place to tell it than in the plaque room at the Hall of Fame. And Jeff talks about in the article about how the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum's mission is to preserve history. And Jeff thinks that if Barry Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame, then his story can't be told and that history can't be told. And overall, I just think it's weak. You can't tell the story of the steroid era without everybody from the steroid era. If Bonds should be allowed in, there is no reason Clemens should not be allowed in. There is no reason Rodriguez should not be allowed in. There is no reason Ramirez should not be allowed in. There is no reason Sosa, McGuire should not be allowed in. And I know for some of those, there's other reasons outside of baseball that those players should not be allowed in. But if we're talking about preserving the steroid era, then you need to preserve the steroid era. You need to quit being afraid of baseball's history, the ugly history of steroids that you allowed Bud Selig and baseball. I understand if you are upset that Bonds or Clemens or one of these players that is connected to steroids is not in the Hall of Fame. Because it sounds like these writers are talking out of both sides of their neck. Even if, you know, 15 years down the road, Barry Bonds gets elected in the Hall of Fame, I don't think it would be enough because Sosa isn't there. Maguire isn't there. Clemens isn't there. You know what we, uh, you know what we should do? We should put a little asterisk on the, on the Hall of Fame because, like, you know, they're missing players and, like, the whole thing with the steroid era was the asterisk. Mark Burley was on the 2022 Hall of Fame ballot, and he finished with a total of 23 votes, finishing with a huge, and I mean huge, 5.8%. He made it and some, 0.8% some. Very big day. Mark Burley will be on the 2023 Hall of Fame ballot. Unfortunately, guys like AJ Perzinski, Jake Peavy, and Justin Morneau are the players that have fallen off of the ballot. However, all you Jimmy Rollins fans, he's going to be on it next year. He got around 10% of the vote. 
And now looking ahead to the 2023 ballot, it looks like there is going to be a total of 15 players falling off, four due to eligibility reasons. Bonds, Clements, Sosa, and Schilling will be off because they just had their 10th year on the ballot. But players that missed the mark, Joe Nathan, Tim Hudson, Tim Lincecum, Ryan Howard, Mark Deshera, Justin Morneau, Jonathan Papelbon, Prince Fielder, AJ Przinsky, Carl Crawford, and Jake PV. That is good news for Mark Burley. The less amount of players, the less options people have to choose from. And if they're voting for 10, that just increases his odds to be voted. And a weird correlation that I saw was that writers who voted for steroid users usually did not vote for Burley, but people who avoided steroid users did vote for Burley. Now with three of those big users off, that is just hopefully going to free up more votes for Mark Burley. We can only keep our fingers crossed. The final update I want to give to you is Scott Rowland will likely be a Hall of Famer sooner rather than later. He got up to 63.2% on his fifth year of eligibility, and Todd Helton got up to 52% on his fourth year of eligibility. So those two are looking pretty uh, for a future Hall of Fame election. And you know who's already a Hall of Famer? Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky, waxy, or taste like chemical spill. You're going to love the taste of Built Bars that are covered in 100% real chocolate, and you're also going to love that most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. You compare that to a candy bar, which usually has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. And my favorite thing is options. I love to have options. I love to have flavors. And there's so many flavors to choose from with Built Bar. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie. And if that's not enough, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out Built.com often to see what's new. Go to Built.com, check out all of those great flavors, and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Again, go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Thank you for making Lockdown White Sox your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Do you know who's back? the MLBPA and the MLB owners meeting again. It is great news to hear. This is the first time since the lockout that the two sides are having back-to-back meetings. So again, I think we can fairly call this progress. On Monday's episode, I told you that the two sides would be meeting. They apparently met for two hours and the MLB came back on Tuesday with its own counterproposal and that meeting lasted about an hour long. So let's go to Monday and let's go to what the players first proposed and what happened in that meeting. All of this is coming from the great reporting of Evan Drellich from The Athletic. And he reported that players are no longer asking for free agency to be tied to the player's age, which would have been new as currently free agency is determined by service time. So I think the players are basically just dropping, well, you'd become a free agent at the age of 30 or if you hit the agreed service clock. So it looks like nothing will change from that rule. 
that rule will probably stay the same. Maybe they'll tweak the amount of service time you have to give before you become a free agent. The players also want more money and they want to be a part of the revenue sharing system. So they revised their earlier proposal regarding revenue sharing. And then finally, the players want to reduce the timeline for arbitration eligibility from three years to two years, again, making it easier for players to reach free agency. Now, this is how the MLB and the owners responded. They agreed to the union's proposal of a bonus pool for players in their pre-arbitration years. Bonuses would be awarded to players who finish in the top 30 in war. The MLBPA is seeking a pool of $105 million, while the MLB countered with $10 million. So again, there was progress, but not a lot. And if you're wondering real quick, I don't think the White Sox had a player in the top 30 of war last year. The closest player they had, shockingly, and this is, I don't know if they'd be using F war. I don't know if they use be using B war, but if they're using F war, Fangraph war, uh, Dylan Cease just missed the cut. And again, we're not really sure how the dynamics would work of this, but if the players wanted to give that bonus pool, that $105 million to the top 30 players, that would mean each player would be getting around $3.5 million as a bonus. With the owner's proposal of a $10 million pool, it would be around a bonus of $333,000. Again, at least they're talking is my biggest takeaway from all of this. They're, they're talking, which is all we need right now. Then the owners proposed to raise the minimum salary to $615,000 for players with zero to one years of service time. The league previously offered $600,000. The players originally wanted a minimum salary of $775,000 for a minimum salary because the minimum salary in 2021 was $570,000. So again, on minimum salary, the players are at 775k, the owners are at 600k, and the salary, the minimum salary in 2021 was 570k. And then if you remember way back long ago when we were talking about what they could be arguing about, the MLB proposed a pay-for-play system which would have been based off of a player's career war, but they dropped that. So if I had to summarize how I feel about the lockout right now, I'm glad that there's progress. I'm glad that they're talking. That is a very big sign. But again, let's just talk about the money difference. For the pool, for the players that finish in the top 30 of war, the MLBPA want a pool of $105 million. The owners countered with $10 million. That is way too far for comfort, right? And I know the minimum salary is just hundreds of thousands compared to what we're talking about of hundreds of millions there, but the minimum salary is a huge thing. They want to put more money in young players' pockets. The league is currently at 600000 The players are at 775000 With all of this and the players trying to fight for revenue sharing, I just think that the players are not going to get what they want. I know that's a huge shocker, but again... The MLB owners have all of the leverage. If games don't get played this season, it's their money that is being hurt. They're not going to have fans in the seats. They're not going to have games broadcasted on TV. And reportedly at Monday's meeting, the MLB's deputy commissioner, Dan Halem, said that the owners are not worried about sacrificing games. So what does that mean? The owners don't care about ruining your summer. The players are likely screwed and won't get what they need from the lockout in the current bargaining sessions, and the rich get richer, the owners will continue to line their pockets, and the players will see marginal, marginal increases year after year after year. 
But hey, you could see some pretty big increases if you use Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as they continue their march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains the number one spot for the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and Bet Online has a new updated desktop and mobile website at betonline.ag. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKED ON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Again, go to their new updated desktop and mobile website, betonline.ag, to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKED on to get started. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you for making Lockdown White Sox your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Today, the White Sox announced that they have agreed to terms with international outfielders Oscar Colas for $2.7 million and Eric Hernandez for $1 million. We obviously knew a long time about Colas and Hernandez. The international signing period was back on January 15th, and we knew that these signings were coming. But today, the White Sox officially announced these signings and made Marco Patti, the White Sox assistant general manager, available along with Oscar Colas for comment. Marco Patti is very instrumental into the way the White Sox have been built so far. You can credit him for Norhe Vera's signing. You can credit him for Yolki Cespedes' signing. You could credit him for Luis Roberts' signing. You could credit him for Jose Abreu's signing. You could credit him for Oscar Colas's signing. And here, Potty, in this upcoming clip, will explain to you when they first laid their eyes on Oscar Colas and why Colas will be here in 2022 in the United States in 2022. The history that we have with Oscar goes back all the way to uh, 2015, if I'm not mistaken. I saw him in Japan. He was on the Cuban national team, along with uh, Luis Robert and uh, Yorba Sanchez. So uh, the tools from the from the get-go were big. You know, uh, for, for a guy with his kind of arm, which is something you don't see every day playing in the outfield, he's got a you know an 80 arm, probably even better than that, uh, with the accuracy, the ability to play the outfield, was uh, very advanced for a kid at that age. And obviously the bat and the power that he has is something that is very attractive. Uh, obviously the delayed in, in, uh, in him getting back on the field because of the time we had to wait to get him signed is it's, it's, it's somewhat of a concern, but you know, he's a young kid. He's 23 years old, just turned 23. And, you know, um, it, it's almost like uh, a guy going through the minor league system. The good, the good thing that we have with Oscar is that he played in Japan. He's played at the professional level already. Uh, so um, this slight interruption that we had, the year and a half that he, we had uh, because he was out waiting to solve his uh, situation with the contract and being a free agent is, is a little bit of a concern, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary because he's still young. And yeah, you heard that right. Two years since Oscar Colas has played in professional baseball. He played in 2019 with the SoftBank team in the Japan League. He played with Santiago de Cuba in the Cuban League. But he's been out of baseball, or at least out of action, since. However, the body's still there. He still stayed in shape. And like Patty said, only 23 years old. 
Oscar Colas has a big, bright future in front of him. But if you're worried about him not being around Major League ball for a very long time, maybe Oscar Colas can tell you why not to worry here. And I guess before I throw to the clip, I do just want to let you know I'm leaving Colas's native comments in first. And then there's Billy Russo, the White Sox translator, translating the comments into English. So here is Oscar Colas talking about the importance of him coming over to the United States this year. No, para mí es muy importante ya que, o sea, es importante incorporarme ahora en el, en el equipo ya que voy a empezar a hacer una familia, a crear una familia, a entrenar como equipo, o sea, hacer todo como equipo, conocerlo más. Y yo me siento ready para enfrentar esa, esa competencia ya que yo vengo ya de jugar en Japón, que pienso yo que viene siendo casi lo mismo que el entrenamiento y yo voy para adelante, que es lo que yo, a, yo vine aquí a, a Dominicana y, y, y fue eso. And to me, it's very important to join the team and join the, uh, you know, go to the spring, the, the spring training, um, and you know, start building that chemistry, that family chemistry and atmosphere around this team. Uh, but most importantly, uh, I just want to start playing uh, uh, and see, you know, what I can do here. Uh, I don't because I play in Japan and I have that the, the experience there. I don't think that's going to be that much different here compared to uh, Japan but obviously you know it's, it's, it's something that I get to uh, that I have to get used to it and uh, you know I'm, I'm just ready I'm just ready to, to start doing and uh, to start showing what I can do here and I start playing. Colas also mentioned that Luis Robert is like a brother to him and that he met him back on the 2015 Cuban team and that they've known each other for a long time and have a strong bond. And I think the coolest thing that I noticed from this meeting between Patty and Colas and them talking about how this all came together was Colas talking about how the White Sox have now been a place for Cuban players to come to and how it has been a beacon for them. And we mentioned it, you know, Norge Vera, Cespedes, Abreu, Robert, Grandal, now Colas. I mean, this is a long legacy of great baseball, great Cuban baseball players the White Sox have. And two, if you were worried, Oscar Colas will be here in 2022 for spring training if it happens. If the lockout ends, then we will see Oscar Colas in spring training with the White Sox in 2022. But that's going to do it today for Locked on Sox. Please let me know what you think about Oscar Colas, about the lockout, about the Hall of Fame. You can write in LockedOnSox at gmail.com or you can call in to our voicemail system, 312-566-8727. Again, you can write in LockedOnSox at gmail.com or call in 312-566-8727. Thank you for making Lockdown White Sox your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And make sure you turn into Friday's episode. I'm working on a guest. Going to keep that top secret, but it should be a great addition to our podcast. So tune in on Friday here on Lockdown Sox.